Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. It is wonderful to see everybody at home and in Portland and in Turkey and um on this and on our screen in UCLA hospital, you got to give it to Harnick for showing up from a hospital bed. Love that. Love that. And it's good to be back in person with, uh, this many of us gathered around the table. It's a wonderful, wonderful Machaya. And the rabbis say, um, if you haven't seen someone in a long time, when you see that person, the bracha is Baruch Ata Adonai Machaye Hametim. Blessed are you God who gives life to the dead. So, <laughs> Um, it's true. Um, because once upon a time, you couldn't call people. You couldn't, right? If you were out of touch, you, you could not see them. You did not hear them. And so it was, it's as if they were dead. And so the miracle of, wow, we're back together and we're both here. And so, um, having not seen y'all in a while, Baruch Adonai, Hametim, that we are once again in each other's presence. So we're gonna, so I know you've started the book of Deuteronomy. Um, we're gonna be looking at it today, um, through the lens of Micha Goodman, one of my, uh, beloved teachers at Hartman, um, with whom we learned, uh, this summer. And he, he did a little bit on his new book, um, The Last Words of Moses, which is on the book of, you guessed it, Deuteronomy. So, um, very timely. I ordered it from Israel, so it would be here when I got home to be able to prepare um, for us today. And he had, he has a very interesting take on Deuteronomy. So, so I want to make sure we get through a lot of his stuff. So I won't talk so much at the beginning. Um, but Deuteronomy, uh, he reminds us, is a retelling of lots of things that have already happened to the Israelites. A lot of Moshe's speech is retelling what's happened in other books. And he says, therefore, anytime you retell something, like you're not narrating the story, they're they're leaving Egypt, Pharaoh ch- is chasing them, right? If you're not telling the actual narrative of the story, you're telling, you're telling about the narrative, you're already an interpretation. What you choose to keep in, what you choose to leave out, what's different about, you know, the narrative that we got in Exodus. So Micha Goodman reminds us, Deuteronomy is the last book of the written Torah and the first book of the oral Torah because it's already a retelling. It's already an interpretation. So it's the last book of the written Torah, but the first book of, of the oral Torah. Um, and then he says, you know, Deuteronomy is the only book that calls itself a book. So Moshe records these words. We get told that in the book of Deuteronomy that Moshe writes these words down. And, and this Sefer, right, it becomes a, its own book. Um, and so it's, it's even in the consciousness of the biblical author, the Deuteronomist. Um, we know, of course, this is not Moses writing this. It is the Deuteronomist, but even in the time of the Deuteronomist, the Deuteronomist it, itself, himself, most likely, um, is, uh, is aware that Deuteronomy is different. So that it, that it is a retelling. It's got its own agenda and it is its own safer. It's, it's even in the mind of the Deuteronomist, its own book. Um, we're going to look at the text, um, from the Parsha for this morning's, uh, Parsha. I'm, I want to do a little more text than I normally do at a time because the, because Micha in his book, um, says Deuteronomy 7, 12 
through nine something or other. Um, that's the chunk he's talking about um, in the part that we're going to look at in his book from this week's Parsha um, and uh, from Akev. And um, and it's a unit. So he's talking about it as a unit. So um, we're going to kind of race through. I promise we're going to analyze the text. But at first, we're just going to look at the text as a unit. And then we'll see what Micha has to say about it. Uh, 7.12, the beginning of Akev. That's our Parsha this morning is Akev. So let's let's jump right into um, the the unit that uh, that Micha separates out. Vea Akev tishmeunet amishpatim aela ushmartem veasitem otam. And if you obey these rules and observe them carefully, your God will maintain faithfully for you the covenant made on oath with your ancestors. God will favor you and bless you and multiply you, blessing your issue from the womb and your produce from the soil, your new grain and wine and oil, the calving of your herd and the lambing of your flock in the land sworn to your ancestors to be assigned to you, to be assigned to you, to be given to you. You shall be blessed above all other peoples. There shall be no sterile male or female among you or among your livestock. God will ward off from you all sickness. God will not bring upon you any of the dreadful diseases of Egypt about which you know, but will inflict them upon your enemies. And you shall literally eat. You shall eat the nations around you, right? You shall destroy all the people that your God Adonai delivers to you, showing them no pity. And you shall not worship their gods, for that would be a snare to you. You should, should you say to yourselves, these nations are more numerous than we. How can we dispossess them? Lo mehem, have no fear of them. You have but to bear in mind what your God did to Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. The wondrous acts, pay attention here, people. The wondrous acts that you saw with your own eyes. Did they? Who, who is Moshe talking to here? The kids. Moshe is talking to the children. Because they're about to enter the land. 38 years has elapsed. Everyone who was part of the generation that left Egypt is gone. So pay attention. Micha's gonna, this is what Micha's gonna really seize on for us in terms of commenting. Um, that you saw with your own eyes, Moshe says to them. Um, and the signs and the portents, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which your God liberated you. Thus will God do to all the peoples you now fear. Your God will also send a plague against them until those who are left in hiding perish before you. Do not stand in dread of them, for your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. Your God will dislodge those people before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them all at once, else the beasts will multiply to your harm. Your God will deliver them to you, throwing them into utter panic until they are wiped out. God will deliver their kings into your hand and you shall obliterate their name from under the heavens. No one shall stand up to you until you have wiped them out. Of course, we know this did not happen. Right, exactly. Right? Very angry. Very angry. Right. You shall consign the images of their gods to the fire. You shall not covet the silver and gold on them and keep it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared thereby, for that is abhorrent to your God. Right? So toeva here, right? Abomination. Right? It is an abomination. You must not bring an abomination into your house or you will be proscribed like it. You must reject it as abominable and abhorrent for it is proscribed. You shall faithfully observe all the instruction, right? So that I enjoin upon you today. Notice how many times we're going to get today. 
that you may thrive and increase and be able to possess the land that God promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember the long way that your God has made you travel in the wilderness these past 40 years. Did they travel in the desert for 40 years? No. In order to test you by hardships, to learn what was in your heart, whether you would keep the divine commandments or not. God subjected you to the hardship of hunger and then gave you manna to eat, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever known in order to teach you that what? What is it? What? Right. People do not live by bread alone. But that's not where the quote stops. That's where most people stop. We do not live by bread alone, but one may live on anything that issues from the mouth of God. Right. So usually people, if they like this translation may live on anything that God decrees. Well, it's literally whatever comes out of the mouth of God. Um, so to me, that's much more um, a potent image because the image I get is a mother bird, right? Chewing up the food for the baby and literally taking it out of her mouth and giving it to the baby. That's a way more powerful image than God's decree. Like that doesn't say much, right? You don't just live on bread alone. You can live on what comes out of the mouth of God is a much more parallel image to me. That makes sense. All right. The clothes that you wore did not wear out, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. Bear in mind that Adonai disciplines you just as a householder disciplines his son. Therefore, keep the commandments of Yudhevafe, walk in God's ways and show year ah, right? So there's lots of ways to translate that show. Here it's reverence, but fear, awe, right? All those appropriate things. For Adonai, your God, is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and springs and fountains issuing from plain and hill, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, figs and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat food without stint, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you can mine copper, right? This is important. This is wealth. This is these are weapons. These are, you know, these are all the things you're going to need, you know, to live in the land is that you can mine that stuff and not have to import it. When you've eaten your fill, give thanks to your God. You will eat, you will be sated, and you will bless. The rabbis say, don't take this as pre, like predicting what's going to happen. Take it as, as a commandment. So this is where we get the commandment to bench after meals. You will eat. And you'll be sated, and then you will bless. So they take it as a commandment, not as a prediction. Because that's not in the Correct. Correct. Right. So for the rabbis, they're equally important. Um, but the, the same way Micha Goodman's going to talk about it for the rabbis, benching is a lot longer, you'll notice. You, you know, it's boom, you eat, right? It's one line. Benching is pages and pages and pages of blessings because the rabbis like Micha say it's when we are sated that there's danger of forgetting. And so you have a much longer benching after because when you're sated and and satisfied, it's very easy to get up from the table and go, you're right, it's very, it's way easier to say a bracha when you're hungry. Right. Because you're grateful that food is coming and you're aware of your gratitude when we're sated. And this is exactly what Micha says is the whole point of the book of Deuteronomy is be careful once you are successful. That is the entire message. He he argues of Deuteronomy is what to do with success. Uh, Take care lest you forget your God and fail to keep the divine commandments, rules and laws, which I enjoin upon you today. 
when you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses to live in and your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold have increased and everything you own has prospered, beware. That's This whole message is about beware. Your heart grow haughty and you forget your God who freed you from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its seraphs, serpents, and scorpions, a parched land with no water in it, who brought forth water from you from flinty rocks, who fed you in the wilderness with mana, which your ancestors had never known, in order to test you by hardships, only to benefit you in the end. And you say to yourselves, my own power and the might of my own hand have won this wealth for me. Remember, So forgetting and remembering, forgetting and remembering. Remember that it is God who gives you the power to get wealth in fulfillment of the covenant made on oath with your ancestors, as is still the case. If you do not forget, remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget. If you do not forget your God and if you do forget your God and follow other gods to serve them or bow down to them, I warn you this day that you shall certainly perish. Like the nations that God will cause to perish before you, so shall you perish because you did not heed Adonai. Shema Yisrael. Listen up, Israel. You are about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and more populous than you. Great cities with walls sky high. A people great and tall, the Anakites of whom you have knowledge. For you have heard it said, who can stand up to the children of Anak? Know then this day that none other than your God is crossing at your head, a devouring fire. It is God who will wipe them out, subduing them before you, that you may quickly dispossess and destroy them as God has promised you. And when your God has thrust them from your path, say not to yourselves, God has enabled us to possess this land because of our virtues. It is rather because of the wickedness of those nations that God is dispossessing them before you. It is not because of your virtues and your rectitude that you will be able to possess their country, but it is because of their wickedness that your God is dispossessing those nations before you. And in order to fulfill the oath that God made to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, know then, in case it was not clear before, that it is not for any virtue of yours that your God is giving you this land to possess for you are a stiff-necked people. Am Oref. Remember, never forget how you provoked your God to anger in the wilderness from the day that you left Egypt until you reached this place. You have continued defiant toward Yudhebafei. At Chorev, you so provoked God that God was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. I descended, I had ascended the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that God had made with you. And I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, eating no bread and drinking no water in the snow, both up and down, barefoot. And God gave me the two tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God with the exact words that God had addressed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of assembly. And at the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, God gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And God said to me, hurry, go down from here at once for the people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted wickedly. They have been quick to go astray from the path that I enjoined upon them. They have made themselves a molten image. God further said to me, I see that this is a stiff necked people 
let me alone and I will destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you a nation far more numerous than they. I started down the mountain, a mountain ablaze with fire, the two tablets of the covenant in my two hands. I saw how you had sinned against Adonai, your God. You had made yourselves a molten cap. You'd been quick to stray from the path that God had enjoined upon you. Thereupon, I gripped the two tablets and flung them away with both my hands, smashing them before your eyes. I threw myself down before you at Hevafe, eating no bread and drinking no water, 40 days and 40 nights. Because of the great wrong you had committed, doing what displeased and vexed Yudhevave. For I was in dread of the fierce anger against which you moved Adonai to wipe you out. And that time too, God gave heed to me. Moreover, God was angry enough with Aaron to have destroyed him. So I also interceded for Aaron at that time. As for that sinful thing you made, the calf, I took it and put it into the fire and broke it into bits and ground it thoroughly until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that comes down from the mountain. And again, you provoked Adonai at Tavera and at Masa and at Kifrot Hatava. And when God sent you on from Kadesh Barnea saying, go up and take possession of the land that I'm giving you, what happened? You flouted the command of Adonai, your God, whom you did not put your trust in nor obey. As long as I have known you, you have been defiant toward Yudhei-Vavhei. All right. So this goes on for a bit. Moshe, Moshe is giving it to them. He is giving it to them. Y'all have been defiant since the day I met you. These are not those people. So you get kind of like whiplashy. It's like, you know, but wait a minute. Like, it wasn't them. Like, and you're really yelling at them. Like, you're you're shaming. So let's look at what Micha says Moshe is actually doing um, with this text. What's actually happening here? Micha Goodman talks about founding myths and founding stories of nations and what the purpose of them is, and the purpose, why is it small up there? Why are they small? What happened? I can't control them, can I, from here? They shrunk from the haranguing. Well, that's fair. Okay. Um, I know, but how did I, how did I change them? Here? No, but that didn't do anything up there. But why are they small? Thank you, Mr. Techie. I have no idea. Okay. All right. So, um, does anyone know how to make them big? Just, just, just put them big so I can see them. <laughs> Give them neck must be stiff necked people. They're so stubborn. They won't get big. Oh, yay. Okay. I need to see my people. Okay. Much better. Okay. So Michal Goodman brings Plato. Of course, because you're going to talk about Deuteronomy, bring Plato. So he talks about Plato in the Republic. And he says, thank you, Justin. He says that most most stories are the land burst us as a people. We come from this land. We belong to this land. The land belongs to us because it burst us because we are from here. We must defend this land. And it's those stories about coming from the land where the nation is that makes soldiers ready to do anything they have to do to defend the motherland, right? Um, and that, that what fills them with passion and the willingness to sacrifice and risk to defend the land is this notion of being indigenous to the land. What is our story? My father was 
a wandering Aramean. We left Aram and Deuteronomy and went to Egypt. It's like skipping over the entire time of Canaan, right? Right from Aram to Egypt and from Egypt to the promised land. Okay. So Micha says, we have an entirely different myth of foundation than most nations because the idea, let's look at how he puts it. Plato and Moses have the same goal, safeguarding the nation on its land. And both believe that they have found the means of doing so. Plato believed the people would be able to remain in the land so long as their soldiers felt driven to defend it valiantly. Moses believed that the ability to survive in the Holy Land was dependent on the people's sensitivity to its weakest residents. If the people recognize that they themselves are strangers, and if they develop a sensitivity to other strangers, they will merit to inherit the land. Only if the people believe that they are not from the land will the land remain theirs. Okay? So so Micha saying this is counter to what everybody else does in their founding mythology as nations. The, the mythology is we are indigenous. That makes your soldiers fight valiantly. That's how you keep the land. He's arguing Jewish tradition, the Israelites. Mm-mm. It is not about raising soldiers to fight valiantly. That's not what our stories are about. Our stories are to keep us a morally present, good people. The way to do that is to not be indigenous, to be strangers, because then you will treat strangers in your land justly. And it is living as a just society on the land, says the Israelite tradition, that gets you to keep the land. Not fighting valiantly. Why? You can fight as valiantly as you want. Who controls who wins the battle? The soldiers? God does. God does. So, right? So this is a theocracy and it is, so everything is informed by the fact that God is in control, not y'all, right? Plato assumes if your soldiers fight valiantly enough, you, you can hang on to the land. Moses is saying that is not how this works. God is in control of everything. So the way you stay on the land, the way God allows you to stay in the land is that you are righteous. You know, I'm just wondering if if Moses is speaking to America today as a land of immigrants and and recognizing the fact that we're immigrants and you have to look at a different way rather than your your lineage going way back. It's who you are today. Correct. And so for me, I just had this conversation with my Hebruta partner because we we looked at this text together and um and we were talking about I was raised in a Jewish home that it was very clear to me. And I don't know. She said, did you learn that at school or at home? I, I don't know. Everywhere, I think. I was made very aware of the fact that this country is all immigrants. Everybody. Native people, you know, were the, and even they, you know, if we go far back enough, weren't from here. You know, so that we were not Dafka indigenous, right? That you're not even the whitest of the white Northeastern, you know, Massachusetts people are not from here. Right. We're all immigrants. This, and, and I think I think the reason that was just pounded into me is because I was in a Jewish home and at a Jewish school. And so I think for Jews, it was like it was comforting to Jews to say everyone's an immigrant here because we're newer immigrants. Right. And so it was interesting to think about memory 
and the mythology of how we got here. And I'm very clear that I was raised, and I think a lot of us in this room were raised knowing that this country, America, is a country of immigrants and that we as the Jewish people, as newer immigrants to this country, bring a certain sense of history that's different, right? A perspective that's a little different, right, than the folks who came over on the Mayflower. Um, that, so, so we talked about that, too, that it's the same mythology, that we are not indigenous, um, exactly. And so then she asked me, and I'm not going to go into this right now because there's a lot of Micha to do, but she asked me, so what does that mean for Israel? Because he says, Micha says, the Zionists changed that. The Zionists wrote in the Declaration of Independence, this is the land of our birth place. This, this is the birthplace of the Jewish people. So what happens when you now flip the narrative? And go exactly opposite of what Moses is doing here and say, this is where the Jewish people was born. And I think you see some of what happens when you flip that story. Right. So, again, I don't want to go there right now. That's a whole story all on its own. All right. So let's look at the next piece I want to look at from Micha. So let's look at this. He says Moses does not seem to distinguish between the present generation and the preceding one. We pointed that out. Right. So this paragraph here, Moses does not seem to distinguish on page 88. He does not seem to distinguish between the present generation and the preceding one. As he sees it, the generation that received the Torah at Horeb and the generation that stands poised to enter the land are one and the same. It's as if 40 years have not elapsed, as if one generation has not given way to another, and as if the audience he stands before and addresses consists of the Israelites who left Egypt. And that's that text we saw, right? um, Or we saw a text that, that says that, right? So in his address, page 89, second paragraph, in his address, Moses blends the past and the present. So we saw that. We saw the blurring. He's yelling at them. You, you've given me problems ever since the day I met you. He's blending the past generation and this generation. But, but in another place, we're going to see, um, right here on, on page, For those of you holding a hard copy, page 91, top of the page from chapter two of Deuteronomy. The time that we spent in travel from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Wadi Zered was 38 years until that whole generation of warriors had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn concerning them. Indeed, the hand of God struck them to root them out from the camp to the last person when all the warriors among the people had died off. So Moshe is aware and even says they're gone. Every single one of them is gone and still turns to them and says, you are a stiff necked people and you worship the golden calf and you saw what God did for you. And he, right. So he's conflict. He goes back and forth. Um, and so we could say, what's that's a bad editor, but that's not what Micha says. Micha says page 89 memory has the extraordinary power to transform the past into the present. Memory can make the events of the distant past seem immediately present before our eyes, as if they are taking place at this very moment. The great cultural act that Moses suggests is one of erasing the past, erasing the future, and collapsing all time into the present. This is the basis for the covenant that Moses makes with the people. All right. So what what Micha is suggesting is that Moshe 
or the author, you know, the Deuteronomist is very intentionally conflating the past generation with the present generation using those memories selectively, sometimes talking about the past, sometimes not acknowledging the past and making it all the present. And we're going to see how he says Moshe is doing this, how the Deuteronomist is, is using memory. But isn't this set of people that existing now, they, they did not leave Egypt. Correct. Correct. But they were there during the 40 years and may have been involved in some of the blasphemy in the golden. No, anyone, you're not, if you're a child, you are not, you're excused. So it's anyone who was 20 years old and older at the time of the calf is gone. Um, so they might have been a kid when, when that happened, but they're not responsible for, that's why they get to enter the land. All right. So let's look at Micha talking about the memory section. There are two different packets. Yes. Because I prepared this one first and then decided to add on, which is why I said we have a lot to do. Um, cause I, I got excited about, sh- about sharing this with y'all. And then that always means I talk a lot. Okay. So let's look at page 93. Um, it's coming to you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to start page 93, the memory section. That's what we just read. Remember I told you he treats it as a unit. Micha does. Moses devotes a long section of his address from Deuteronomy 7.17 to the end of Deuteronomy 9 to memory. So he calls this its own unit. Moses has no interest in describing past events so as to maintain a database of national memories. Rather, he instructs the people on how to use their memory so that they will have a positive influence on the national character. Memory can have this influence only if the right memory is invoked at the right time. Toward this end, Moses presents three categories of national memories, the period of the wilderness, the major sins, and the miracle of war. So that whole section that we read with all this stuff lumped in there, you could say, why, why these things? Micha's going to be very clear about what Moshe is doing. There's a reason the episodes that we saw are there. What is that? The memory. So now we're going to talk about the period of wilderness that he that he recounts, Moshe recounts, the Deuteronomist recounts, the memory of slavery and alienation in Egypt recurs throughout the book of Deuteronomy. But the section on memory, this section that we're talking about, focuses primarily on the challenges of the wilderness experience, a time of total dependence on God. We saw that, right? Um, We read that. So that was Deuteronomy 8 that we just read. Uh, um, This... This is a memory, we're on page 94, second paragraph. This is a memory that can inhibit success from metamorphosing into pride because it reminds them that their accomplishments are not really their own. When the Israelites were poor and weak, everything came from God. When they are rich and successful, so too, everything will come from God. When we are with strangers, we should recall when we were strangers. In times of success, we must remember our experience of deprivation and dependence. Memory influences the individual, and Deuteronomy emphasizes that a particular memory ought to be juxtaposed with the opposite experience. When a person is in control, uh, he should remember his servitude. When she is successful, she should remember her dependence. This is the genius of Micha Goodman looking at Moshe, looking at the Deuteronomist using Moshe, using memory to form the national character. It is not random 
that Moshe just starts railing about the wilderness. You know, here's what happened. And God gave you mana that your ancestors had never known. Blah, blah, blah. Moshe is, according to Goodman, Moshe is saying, when you get there and you have all that and you're driving your Lexus and you live in your McMansions, you're going to be tempted to say, I did like, it's because I'm so amazing that I have this. Remember your time of complete and total dependence where you did nothing. You were taken care of. It has not changed. You are still completely dependent on God, right? It's just easy to lose sight of that. So memory is invoked, says Dr. Goodman. Memory is invoked at the time when you're going to be tempted. You heard him say, when you have gold and you have silver and you have all this great stuff and you've eaten your fill, right? And you're sated and you have all these wonderful Chick-fil-A's and you have all of this stuff around you and you can have it 24-7, waffle fries 24-7. Then remember when you only ate mana, it has not changed. You are not different. You are that same people, still dependent on God. So when you feel success, when you feel strong and independent, you should remember your complete dependence. So, so I, yes, all I'll say though is that I think there's a difference between awareness and memory. So they serve the same function to, 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 to mess in a good way with our mindset and to increase the moral quality of our character. Yes, they both serve that. They're just two different mechanisms for that. And, and I think it's very clever that, that Micha understands Moshe is using memory as a tool, right? To, to affect the national character. Is memory a tool to keep us separated, meaning from the peoples around us? So Dana's asking, does this, does invoking memory also serve to keep us separate as a people? What I'm going to say is the Deuteronomist is writing for a people that will be sovereign in its land. They are sovereign. It's written during a time of sovereignty. It's written under, right, we think around King Josiah, right? So this is written, the Deuteronomist is writing when Israel has a king. Israel is successful. They aren't, they're not anywhere else. They're in Israel. Are they separate from other peoples? Well, sort of. I mean, there are other people who live among them. They're certainly different from Egyptians. And But this is their national story that they're supposed to keep telling because we're going to look, Micha's going to point out that the Deuteronomist says, puts in the mouth of Moses, write this down and keep saying it. My point is we are, keep we keep saying it even today on Friday night at service to remember the parts, memory or, you know, a stranger in the land. So it feels like the message for the Israelite people has continued and we, we keep repeating the memory. Right. So let's hold that. Let's hold that. Let's get through the thesis and then we'll talk about what do we feel like is still in place? Cause I think that's, that's exactly what we do. Um, so let's, so that's one is the, um, the memory of being dependent and being weak to counter us feeling like we're all that right. And can, do everything because we're so strong and whatever, but also um, the Torah depicts another kind of pride, uh, moral self-righteousness, just as the proud are blind to their own weaknesses and limitations. The self-righteous are blind to their own sins. Look at page 95. 
I'm just skipping the text that we read. That's what's here in the little paragraph is um, this text we've already read. Often success is transformed into a sense of moral superiority, but success does not necessarily bespeak righteousness, right? So Moses goes on to say, remember how you provoked God, right? And he goes through this whole huge speech to say, don't think you're successful because you're righteous. Remember, right? You have sinned all along. Really bad ones too. Really bad ones. You remember that cow? Remember that whole thing? That's as bad as it gets. Don't think, right, that you're all that. The memory of sin is not intended to instill in the people a lasting sense of guilt about their past offenses, but rather to prevent them from developing a sense of moral superiority, right? Don't you love it when people who disagree with you or see it differently make it feel like they are like morally superior in their understanding of it, right? It is like, be very careful that you not, right, read, that you not become folks who are so morally superior. So you screwed up really bad, really bad, right? And and again, conflating that generation with this one to say, just, just, all right. So the three types of memory that we have listed have healing properties. In order to overcome the temptation to oppress a stranger, we must remember our own experience of being strangers in a strange land. In order to prevent victory from turning into hubris, we must remember our period of dependence on God in the wilderness. In order to resist an attitude of moral superiority, we must remember our past sins. Um, so then he goes to the fear of failure, right? So the people are about to have to go to war. That is likely paralyzing. So Moshe brings up the memory of, right, of God taking them out of Egypt and beating up Pharaoh and doing all of that. Memory can help the people not only when they have a surplus of self-confidence, but also when they have a crisis of confidence. Memory serves as a ballast, counteracting the intoxication of power or the fear of failure. You have to pick the right memory for the right time. When you're feeling self-righteous, y'all screwed up really bad. When you're afraid, God will fight for you. God fought the Egyptians. God took care of business. God will do it again. Do not be afraid. Altira, don't be afraid, right? So it's about pulling the right, the rabbis they were supposed to have in our pocket. For me was the entire world created. And then the other one, um, from dust, you know, are we created to dust? Do we return? And you're supposed to reach into the appropriate pocket, depending on what's going on for you today or at three o'clock versus 4.15, right? When you're starting to think you're all that, you reach in and read from dust was I created and from dust to dust will I return. When you're feeling like I can't do anything right, you know, then you pull um, for me was the entire world created. That's exactly what Micha is suggesting the Deuteronomist is doing with Moshe using these memories, since we're going to read it over and over and over and over and over. And as Dana said, we continue to read it over and over and over and over, just like it says here, teach it to your children. That comes from Deuteronomy. Speak of them when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you rise up, meaning always. It doesn't mean as a rabbi say, you say it on your bed at night and when you wake up in the morning. That's not what it means. It means talk about it all the time. Talk about 
who we are, where we come from, what we learned from that, what we should learn from that. Talk about that all the time. Because if you forget, we are all in trouble. All right, so let's, I'll finish with Micha and then we can talk. Uh, Moses's way, <laughs> great intro there. Moses's way of dealing with the threat of forgetting. Remember how many times we saw that in the text? Don't forget, lest you forget, do not forget. Most, so that's the big threat. Moses is afraid of forgetting, right? Moses's way of dealing with the threat of forgetting begins with recording this address. And then we get the quote, when Moses had put down in writing the words of this Torah in a book to the very end, right? So it's called a Sefer. Um, Moses exhorts the people to read this book again and again. And we're going to go to page 99. But it is not just when the people are entering the land, the top paragraph on uh, 99. It's not just when the people are entering the land and not just once in seven years that they are obligated to read Moshe's address. The address must be read in an abridged version every day. Take to heart these instructions with which I charge you this day. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you get up. Moshe embeds within his address the mechanism that is supposed to prevent forgetting. Anyone who listens to the address and accepts its teachings will keep listening to it all the days of their life. Boom. All right. Who wants to start? Uh, And so the question, how much of the past is a part of us? How much, how much am I me? Because the people didn't say, oh, well, wait a minute. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. That that was our parents. Well, they weren't really given a chance to talk. Like, no, yeah, like, <laughs> so so that that brought up for me on this the whole question of what what is a me how much how much me original and what per, what part of me is also the best and so and for which i have to answer and so i think Micha would say the deuteronomist would suggest in order to live as the me in the present that's the best version of me i have to invoke the past, but you have to choose the right memory to invoke at the right time, right? And so I'm not the past, but I'm not not the past, right? And and it's about being conscious about invoking the correct memory at the correct time. So if you read this all the time, you're going to get the ones you need. Moses might be saying, Maybe you did, but you will be doing this, folks. Yes. Folks just doing this. No, I think that's exactly the point, Harvey. Well said. That um, what Moshe is saying is, you're people, and you're human, and that means, and I don't care about the other peoples. I care about y'all. I'm Oref, you stiff-necked people. I care about y'all, and people are people. But what I care about is you Israelite people, and y'all are gonna mess up because that's what people do, over and over and over. And as soon as we get success, Micha says. As soon as we're successful, we tend to start. This is what he taught us. I don't know where it is in his book, but he's taught us that as soon as we get successful, we start to think of ourselves as successful people, not someone to whom success happened. And that's the danger. The danger is we start to think of ourselves as successful people, right? And then we start down the slippery slope of doing things that are not good because we can do that. We are successful people rather than you're someone that success happened to and it can go away. 
and you're no different than the people who aren't successful. Maybe you had a better education. Maybe you had a better family life. Maybe you had white skin. Maybe you had something that some of us don't have and therefore your gender like is different from mine. So maybe there's lots of reasons, yes, that helped you, that are about you, that helped you, be, that makes you different from someone else. But but the mechanisms in place are are not necessarily just, right? Like I, as a white person, have an advantage. It doesn't mean white people are better. It means the system is broken. I'm no different or better than anybody else with any other color skin. So I think that's that's kind of the point that that he's making. Anyway, you were talking about the Greeks. Plato brought up in study of Greek mythology, you had to be very careful with all the gods because if you got too cocky with success, the gods would get. And I think now there's still a if things are going so well. Be prepared because. Right. And that, and that's all through Jewish superstition. That's why poo poo kinahara, salt of the left shoulder, foo foo foo, right? You don't ever say something nice without saying poo poo kinahara because, because you're tempting the demons or Satan, you're tempting Satan to make it not true because you're all that, right? Or, or, or you have such a beautiful child, foo foo, right? So, so it's all through there. That's not biblical biblically all you have to do is remember that you are blessed to be so successful and you are to use your success to share with others and to speak for protect and uplift those who have been left out right a part of our lore for sure is superstition from the things we got exposed to it's just i just want to be clear it's not biblical um it's later when we're living among other peoples in other times then we get exposed to the same things um, that they're exposed to and we, and superstition enters in all kinds of ways. Um, anyway. Um, yes. Lisa, we talked about selecting memories and what memory I'm repeating what she's saying. So we, we talked about, about selecting memories. memories. Yeah. And it strikes me. How do you find the right memories? In other words, it's almost easy to be manipulated into different memories you know, we all, I have that in my life, you know, do I really remember what happened when I was a kid? I asked my brother, they remember something different mm-hmm. from that. So we all have these memories. And I was just struck when we were talking about memories and reaching back and pulling memories. How do we, it's so easy to manipulate. All right. So I, w- I want to be very clear. We're talking about mythic memory. We are not talking about facts. That is a very important distinction, right? That you're bringing up. We are not, we're not talking about, I remember. And then someone says, no, that's not what happened. You know, that's about facts. And even those were, are pretty murky for, we've learned right through brain science. Like, we don't really remember anything the way it really happened. We remember it how we remember it, right? So what, what Deuteronomy is talking about and what Micha's is, is bringing to us about what the Deuteronomist is doing is invoking mythic memory to counter where it's bad for us, whether we're too egotistical or too, um, what's the opposite of that? Too self-deprecating, to not do anything, to get paralyzed because you're too afraid. So we're supposed to invoke the opposite memory to make us better in the moment. It is a mythic memory. So when Maura Tenzer and I have this conversation, it's so painful every time. And she's like, so you're saying we really didn't leave Egypt. 
we really weren't slaves in Egypt. Like, it, she just cannot get over the, like that. It that I think it didn't happen. Then what's the point of all this and Passover? And like, because for me, the power is exactly what Moshe's saying here. It's mythic. They weren't there. They didn't see that. And he says that you saw with your own eyes. What do we say around the Seder table? I left Egypt. Right. I was a slave. Like we were slaves. We, not our ancestors. We were slaves and God took us out. We are supposed to consider ourselves ke'ilu hu yatsamimi trying. Each of us is commanded to consider ourselves as if we ourselves went forth from Egypt. That is invoking mythic memory to help us be a more just and compassionate people. Each individually as a person, but also what, what, what's going on here is the national agenda. How do we become a more compassionate people? Remember, you were strangers. You are not indigenous to this land, right? And w- what I wish is that we were, as Americans, invoking the right memories, right? To, to make us as America, as America, the kind of nation that I think each of us grew up in a household believing was the best version of America. Right. That, that gave the folks who don't have the same opportunities as many of us had opportunities. Right. And we're just watching that. And I will just speak for myself. I feel like I'm watching that roll back um, now with women's rights to control their own bodies, with, you know, with whatever, with, you know, uh, affirmative action, with all of these things and um, teaching alternative versions of, you know, slavery wasn't all that bad. I mean, they did learn a lot of skills. Um, and the Jews, they learned a lot in those camps, um, from the Nazis. So let's not, you know, exaggerate. So, I mean, like, it's just, in, so I'm so aware when I was reading Micha and reading the text again, I was like, right, we're, we're invoking all the wrong stories about who we are and should and could be. And I feel like we need the Deuteronomist to come like smack us around a little. But that, that is the challenge because we have... We have on the one hand a Deuteronomist, we have a a God. So we can trust the Americans have we don't have official account. We have story. What was is that a good story of working together? Or does that cover up actually a horrible thing that we don't have as a story? What I'm gonna say though is that I remember very clearly growing up with mythic memory about this country. And I'm not saying it's true, and I'm not saying it's the one all Americans grew up with, but but there was kind of a majority opinion when I was growing up that America's about a land of immigrants, and everybody coming here deserves an opportunity. And like that's what I remember that we were supposed to try to live into that mythic. And of course, as we evolve and change, we know that some of the myths we grew up with need to be tinkered with. Okay, let's do that. Let's tinker with them. But the memory of like, we're all immigrants and we all got here from somewhere else. So let's give everyone an opportunity to reach the same level of success that we have. I do remember that being predominant. And again, it might just have been in my neighborhood, but I don't think so. And, and I, so the problem now, of course, with polarization is that we each live in our echo chambers and we're only exposed to the mythology and the memories, the mythic memories that serve the agenda of a certain group of people and and we're not hearing the other ones 
Do, do you know what I mean? And so that's how you can get an alternative curriculum in Florida. Because, oh, well, we want to invoke these memories about who we were, that it wasn't so bad for African-American people in this country during slavery. It's like, so it's like, wait, what? what, what? Like that, but that was not the, that was not the majority at, once upon a time, at least. And maybe I'm just looking back with rose colored glasses, but I do believe there was a different mythology. What we were trying, I feel she asked, did we ever live into that mythology? Um, I think we were trying a lot harder once upon a time than we are now as, as a unified Nation, and I know, I know there were people who always disagreed with that. I'm not saying that, but I feel like we were moving the law, the you know, like things were moving in a direction of that. So but, everybody's memory. But the Deuteronomist is making it up. The Deuteronomist is making the Deuteronomist has an agenda and puts it in the mouth of God. So where's the Deuteronomist? To, like, where's the Deuteronomist today? Like, right? We have an anti-Deuteronomist. Like, I feel like we have a Deuteronomist school which happened back then too by the way there was an anti-deuteronomist school as well as the deuteronomist school the deuteronomist school won out because josiah bought it and started a reform so the deuteronomy was preserved and given to us but there was pushback big time against the deuteronomist so we see that today the 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 problem is there's no or I see one of the big problems being we're, we're not able to come to any kind of consensus about what we're going to do. We're just at, we're just at war. Um, the, the aspirations are at war. Yeah. It's yeah. Can I add one thing? I, interesting yes. point I heard was that it's a little different from the memory, but it, um, memories as a tool to, to guide us, but the idea of we are our parents and all the things that we they did are part of our story too. I would, say it again. That we are our parents, we are our ancestors, and and what what they did, we're responsible for. The metaphor that I've once heard recently was, if you buy a house and it's run down and it's broken, and the house is a mirror, um, it's your responsibility to fix it now, right? Like you got to paint it, you've got to fix the wiring, you've got to do all those things, even if you weren't the person who destroyed it in the first place. It's on your hands now. So anyway, I thought that was a right. valid um, and, and I just want to be clear that he's he's not saying he's conflating it for a purpose. Y'all did that. He, it, again, it's not y'all really did that. That's not his point. That's not Moshe's point. Moshe's not saying y'all actually did that. He's saying you're like Harvey said, you're no different than the people who did that. So yeah, you may not have ignored the house till it started falling apart, but you are just as likely to get comfortable and get lazy as the people who did. And now the house is run. Right. It, that's really the point of the conflation is not you're guilty. It's that you're the same. You are put together the same way they are. A- and I think that's true for the most part, you know, like how do we counter the worst of our nature and how do we encourage the best of it? And that is what Micha says Moshe's doing with uh using this tool of invoking memory. Yashkoach to all of us for uh, hanging in there. I know that was a long one and a lot. So um, great to have you all here and so focused and uh, great to be back. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.